Hi there, welcome. It's great to be with you on this Sunday morning, wherever you might be. Uh, it's such a privilege and honor to be welcomed into your home or wherever you're watching this. So thank you for uh, turning the TV on or turning YouTube on and, uh, and joining me this morning. Great to be able to share something from the Word of God as always. But before I dive into that, I just need to say happy birthday to a few people. Um, I guess it is kind of a big birthday time of the year, isn't it? I'm, I'm only aware of two, but if it's your birthday as well, happy birthday. So Bailey Wooten's birthday, shout out to Bailey. Woo! Um, I won't be singing. And it's my daughter's birthday, Michaela, one of my daughters. Uh, happy birthday, Michaela. And I also know my granddaughters are watching this morning. So hi, Ro. Hi, Lou. Uh, that's pretty cute. Uh, well, we've been talking about this new kingdom for a while now. It's been our theme. And as I was thinking about the moment in, that we are, in, uh, certainly in Sydney, um, with the lockdowns continuing and some sense that, that things are going to be changing sometime down there in the future. But it got me wondering about how this new kingdom relates to a global pandemic. What, what can this new kingdom speak into this context that we find ourselves in? Because ultimately, if, if this new kingdom, if we can't apply it to the world in which we live right now, well, what, what use is the new kingdom, right? It, 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 it's not just about uh, the kingdom on the other side of, of our, our uh, life or our death. It's about what this kingdom does in the now, in our lives, in our world, in our community, in our families. And so I, I began to think about that. And, and of course, uh, it's been a very contentious time. And I know Pastor Rick touched on this last week, um, but there is a lot, a lot of, I, I don't know if it's just the kind of, uh, in the, the stuff of being locked down and, and, uh, and so issues perhaps become bigger than they might have otherwise been if we were busy with the rest of life. But there's certainly been some really contentious issues in, in the last little while. Um, and you would all be aware of them, uh, the, the contentious or the contention over vaccination, whether to be vaccinated, whether to not, the contention over, you know, the government's uh, control of our freedoms or whether, you know, they've, they've overreached or whether we should be allowed to have, uh, you know, whether they haven't overreached. Um, you know, the lives that we've saved through what we've been doing, but then the lives that have been lost, whether it's through domestic violence or suicide or, uh, or, or other, you know, perhaps surgery that wasn't able to be done. Or, and so there's all of these kind of issues which, are, uh, which people get pretty passionate about, uh, and, and there are more of them, it seems. So what does this new kingdom have to say in the midst of this time and space that we're in? Well, I, um, I was just praying about that and I really felt the Holy Spirit lead me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles or if you want to turn there, um, we'll actually be working through this verse by verse. So um, uh, yeah, so you can, you can read along. I'll be reading from the NIV. And the, I had forgotten, I, you know, I read 
I'm not sure when I last read 1 Corinthians 8, but uh, it was a while ago and I'd forgotten what was there. But the moment that, uh, that the Holy Spirit led me to this chapter, I read the first line and I thought, yeah, absolutely. This is, this is uh, where we need to um, sit and, and think and allow the revelation of this chapter to uh, inform us about the new kingdom and this era that we're in. So Paul starts off. Now about food sacrifice to idols. Daniel, how does that relate to a global pandemic? <laughs> well, I tell you what, the very first thing that occurred to me was, here is a divisive issue. Here is a contentious issue for the church. It's so contentious that it's like it's causing real big problems for the Corinthian church. And so Paul takes an entire chapter, you know, a good portion of his letter to deal with this serious issue. And it got me thinking that there are always contentious issues for the church. Uh, right throughout history, you can just, you know, one after the other if it's not food. And I know for us, we kind of go food sacrifice to idols. Seriously, that, that was an issue. It's just not even within our framework to kind of think, why, why would that be an issue? But it was a serious issue at, the moment, at that time. And as I think about the history of the church, there's so many examples, but perhaps in, in modern times, you know, the whole issue of women in ministry, that was huge at some point. We probably don't even mostly think about it these days. Of, of course, God would anoint men and women for, for ministry. Um, you know, the whole issue of abortion or same-sex marriage or, I mean, divorce and remarriage. I remember that was a massive issue 40 years ago. Uh, but issues, contentious issues are just something that are throughout the history of the church. We have contentious issues now, and I promise you, we will have different contentious issues in the future because this is the world in which we live. So I actually, just, just on that opening verse, I thought, yeah, you know, this isn't something really that extraordinary. Contentious issues are here to stay. So it's good that Paul, we see how Paul deals with this one because it can give us some real insights into how we might deal with the issues that we're dealing with. I actually find it really interesting that Paul starts with this phrase now about food sacrifice to idols and then he kind of goes off on a tangent and we'll go off on his tangent with him and then in verse four he comes back and, and uh, restarts the conversation. But I don't know whether you've ever had a conversation with someone and felt like you were about to launch into the story, or, but you needed to give them some kind of background. You're like, uh, no, I, let me rewind for a second. It needs a context. It needs a frame. Well, I think that's what Paul does here. He's kind of going, all right, I know this is an issue, but stop. Just hold on a second. Let's step back for a moment and just put this into some kind of framework. So what's the framework that he puts it in? Well, he says... You all know stuff. <laughs> we know that we all possess knowledge. Well, I mean, he was saying that at a time when, I mean, certainly there was some knowledge, but you think about the knowledge we have today. This is more true today than it's ever been in history. We can access extraordinary... In fact, I was just thinking even 40 years ago, when I was in primary school, 
and you were asked to do a project, like a big poster on one of those, you know, big cardboard poster things, um, you would go down to the newsagent and you would buy a pack for the country that was going to tell you all about the, you know, going to have pretty pictures and basic information about the country. Why? Because you couldn't cut the pictures out of the encyclopedia or, you know, down at the library, you could maybe get a, a black and white photocopy of something. But nowadays, just the amount of information that we have access to is extraordinary. So we all know stuff. We all know stuff. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but knowledge puffs up. Basically, when we know stuff, and perhaps so more so now than at any other time in history, it makes us less likely to listen to things that perhaps we don't want to listen to. It makes us want to be the teacher and not the student. It makes us... Uh, feel more important than perhaps we really are or really more in control or whatever it is, but the knowledge puffs us up. And therefore, that's not a, a helpful position for us to be in. But of course, love builds up. So he says, those, he goes on to say, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. <laughs> Throughout history, people have been really convinced of certain things because the knowledge that they had up to that point was sufficient to explain those things. And we know that throughout history, people have changed their ideas about all manner of things about the world and about how things work and because new knowledge has been acquired. Well, are we seriously at a point where we think that there's not still new knowledge to acquire? I mean, I know in my own field, in, in, P, in my PhD, it was on contemporary congregational songs. And the whole idea of a PhD is that you contribute new knowledge in that field that's never been contributed before. You've got to find this gap in the research and then you look into that gap and you, you bring something forward that no one else has ever brought forward. And so you become the expert in this little slither of knowledge. But after doing the whole PhD and contributing new knowledge, all I discovered is there's still more that I don't know. <laughs> there's still more research to do. I've still got more books to write because no matter where we get to, even in this extraordinary age in which we live, none of us should be really, really oversure about the knowledge that we have. Ultimately, the, the God is omniscient. He knows everything. We are human and we don't know everything. So that's why Paul then says, he says, um, but those who love God, this is the next verse, um, but whoever loves God is known by God. Doesn't that kind of seem like a strange ending to that little, little section? Uh, he's not talking about our knowledge. He's talking about God's knowledge. <laughs> whoever loves God is known by God. But what are, you, what are you saying, Paul? And I think it's, 
you know, it's not what you know, it's who you're known by. You see, if, if I'm never going to know everything, but the one who does know everything knows me, and that's actually more important. If I could gather all of the knowledge in the world, it would still not be as important as being known by God. That is ultimate knowledge. So just this is the framework that Paul places around this discussion of this contentious issue. So let's uh, move along to uh, verse, whatever, what are we up to? Verse um, four, verse four. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. Actually, I just want to point this out as well. Paul doesn't say about the people who are eating food sacrificed to idols. He makes the issue about the issue, not about people. And often we, in our conversation, we turn the issue into one of people, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, instead of the issue, which might be vaccination. We, we, Paul makes sure that he doesn't apply the issue onto people, but just let's deal with the issue separately. And I think that's so important. You know, if we, if we start uh, making it about people, putting people on one side or the other, there really is no win. Um, uh, but I'll get more to that in a, in a moment. So he says about this issue of eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Paul could have actually stopped uh, just in the original frame of saying, uh, you know, talking about knowledge and, and never actually gone to the issue itself. But he, he, he comes back there, and I think that's important that he doesn't just kind of go, let me give you the big framework and you can work it out. He says, no, no, let's, let's go to the issue. There, there's, there's a conversation to be had about the issue itself. So let's dive into that now that I've set up the, the framework. Um, and where does he start with that conversation? Who God is and who we are. That's where he starts. Who God is and who we are. We should start more issues with who God is and who we are. Because <laughs> uh, what we tend to do is we tend to start issues, whatever those issues might be, um, with this is what science says, or this is what the government says, or this is what the Bible says, which we can make say almost whatever we want to sometimes. We actually, whatever the issue is, we need to start with who God is, the creator of all, God over all, my God and Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are brothers and sisters, no matter how contentious an issue it gets, you and I are in the same boat, the same Lord, the same Father in heaven. That's where we start. 
All right, so where does he go from there? He says, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Okay. Christians, we don't all have the same revelation. Now, he's not talking about the revelation of God the Father and one Lord Jesus Christ, that we all share. But beyond that, we've got a whole bunch of different revelations about how God functions in our world and, and you know, what He's passionate about and, and all that. Paul actually notes, he, he says that it's actually um, often our cultural, it's a whole history and cultural baggage that shapes some of our revelation. You know, of course, God can give us revelation that's countercultural, but so much of our revelation is still shaped in the world in which we live, in our understanding of the way that world works. Uh, and so your history and, and education and, uh, and family and all kinds of things are going to feed into the revelations that you've got as are mine, and they're going to be different. So the idea that we should all somehow agree on a whole bunch of contentious issues that come up through the history of the church, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's not going to happen because we don't all have the same revelation. And Paul ends up saying, you know what? Uh, in verse eight, he says, food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. <laughs> Basically, he says, this issue isn't as important as you think it is. In the big picture, we're still not arguing over it. So clearly it wasn't that important. And you know, if you just go back through the issues that the church has faced, through the divisive, the things that have split denominations, and uh, look, most of them, we're not talking about anymore. Most of them, We've moved on to the next thing. Now, there are certain fundamental revelations like God as the creator of all, like Jesus being the only way, the only truth, the only one, only way to the Father. Beyond that, we probably shouldn't get too passionate about almost any other issue. Just because even with, he's talking to Christians here and he's saying Christians don't all have the same revelation. And that's okay. So where does he go from there? So essentially he's kind of told them to, hey, just pull your head in a bit. You know, you know better if you do eat, you know worse if you don't. This is not as big an issue as you're making it out to be. He says, however, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating at an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Paul is basically saying, you're not an island. 
I'm not an island. I think we live in a West, our Western world has been very, very strong on the individual. My individual rights, my individual freedoms. It's very hard for us to kind of think in terms of societies where in fact the individual is a secondary identification to the community. You, you're first a part of a family or a tribe or a community and, and then you're also an individual. It's not the way our Western world thinks. Now Paul's not going against the idea of individual rights and freedoms. He says, he says, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, the exercise of your rights. So you've got them, they, they are yours to exercise. He's not saying you don't have those rights. So he's acknowledging the individual, but he's just saying, you're not an island. No matter how much we wanna kind of go, well, my decisions only affect me and you know, no one else should uh, be offended by my decisions. It, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a pretty immature kind of understanding of human beings. We are not islands, we live in community. We, we do, our decisions do affect other people. They do impact others. And so he says, look, you could exercise this right, but if that right causes your brother or sister to stumble, then you actually have ended up sinning against Christ, not against them. You sinned against Christ. Um, I, I just wonder, whether sometimes we're so interested in declaring our rights in a particular issue that we don't think about whether that might detrimentally affect someone else's faith. And I think this is where Paul comes to, this is how he answers the issues that he was facing, in this case, uh, you know, the, the issue of eating food to idols. He says, therefore, in verse 13, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Well, Paul, why would you give up your rights? I mean, you've got the, you know the truth. It doesn't matter whether you eat or don't eat. You know, why would you give that up for, for someone else's faith? And it occurred to me that Paul's biggest concern was the eternal destination of his brothers and sisters, not Everything else was secondary. Eating meat, not eating meat, the idols, or, or any other issue you could raise. And I wonder for us whether our primary, our, our, our greatest passion above any other issue is the eternal destination of our brothers and sisters. Because if it is, then, then we're on the same, Paul's, same page as Paul. And that's where, where God will want us to be. That's what, it, there's gonna be a whole bunch of people coming into heaven with a whole bunch of ideas about different things, that, that revelations that they've had. But the thing, the thing that will make the difference is whether they receive Jesus Christ in the first place. Otherwise, we're not together. You might be able to convince your neighbour, your friend or some other Christian of whatever revelation you've got, well, great. But if whatever in, in that process, if our highest value isn't their eternal 
destination, then we've missed it. What do people know you for? Do they know you more for your stand on the latest issue? Or do they know you for your concern about their eternal destiny? It's a challenge for me. We, we want to comment on things. We, we get passionate about stuff. May our community, may our brothers and sisters in, in the body, may they know that our greatest concern is their relationship with Jesus Christ, their relationship with their heavenly Father, and everything else we can talk about, we can disagree on, but we are unified under that one revelation. And that's our focus. Let me pray for us as we finish up this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, to dive into your word and, and just realise that uh, even 2,000 years ago, we still find ourselves in the same kind of human uh, challenges uh, that the early church was facing. We find issues that uh, are being uh, lifted up, so heated and people are so passionate about one side or another. And Lord, you are passionate about our eternal destiny. You are passionate about our salvation. You are passionate about our relationship with you. And that's the most passionate you are about anything. So Lord, let your heart, let your passion for our communities, for our neighbours and for our brothers and sisters and their eternity be the thing that fills our hearts, that out of that overflow of desiring that people know you and love you and serve you and grow in you would supersede every other conversation. I thank you for this time together and commit every single person in our church and beyond to you right now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been wonderful to be with you again and I uh, hope you have a great day and, uh, and a wonderful week ahead. God bless. I believe that we say the service is ended, but church continues. God bless. <laughs>